Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. <laughs> oh, you know what I love better than dealing with messed up adults? is kids that we get turned on to Jesus in a new way of life so that they don't have to do what you did and got you here and we have to deal with all the counseling and the other end of things. Let's get them young. Let's get them plugged into the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, oh, this is why children's ministry is so important to us. And so that's where Pastor Aaron is this morning. So you, you thank your kids' Sunday school teachers. You don't know how important they are. I'm so glad that you're uh, here with us this week. Can you uh, touch three people beside uh, you and just say, you look good today? You've been working out? Shoot, everybody. <laughs> I haven't been working out, but I have been eating more. So um, welcome to a sermon series called I'm Nice. I'm nice. If, uh, if sarcasm isn't your thing, maybe venue's not for you, but uh, I'm nice. We're going we're gonna to talk about um, something called passive aggressiveness. I know, I know. Somebody just told you you've been working out and you feel good about yourself, so that's good. Just, I, just needed, I just needed a little bit of help here getting uh, the sermon off the ground. You know, it's something, I was listening to a podcast, um, one of the guys here, Chad, uh, does a, a podcast called I Want to Know, and he said something about, um, about MMA fighting. Now, you can tell from my physique that I am uh, into that. <laughs> into hanging around with people who are into that for um, physical and emotional protection. And uh, I'm not a big guy, whatever. I can fit comfortably into any car, so. All you tall people out there, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> any car, I can fit in there. Uh, he said something that was very interesting to me. So there's different types of sermons that I preach, and, and so um, there's the type of sermon that I was preaching about faith, and so it's like, it's like, uh, kind of like, here, here's how you win in life. Here's how you win and get close to Jesus. Here, here's how, you, how God wants you to win. Um, and then there's another type of service that, uh, sermon that I preach that um, is a little bit different, a little bit heavier, but I think all the more meaningful. And I really think, I was telling some of the team ahead of time, I think that 10 years from now, you'll look back to this sermon series. Now, uh, I'm going to preach this one here, just the opener uh, on passive aggressiveness, and then I'm going to take a break for a couple of weeks. Um, uh, Pastor Peter Haas from Substance Church is going to bring a word from God uh, next week. You want to be out next week? And then my dad is going to preach on Father's Day and is under um, strict orders to, you know, lie a little about my childhood. Maybe not disclose the full truth. As a joke, sarcasm. I already said, if you're not sarcastic, you're not going to do well with this. That's how we play. It's our love language. Um, Chad said, back to Chad. <laughs> Chad said in his, uh, in his podcast, he said, when MMA fighters fight, okay, so how many people know that whether you're far from God and coming towards him, uh, look, if God is good, then the devil is bad. And so all you have to do is watch the news to realize that there's a devil and there's something else at play in the world that's trying to bring you down and hurt you. And then there's this other uh, side that, that God must be good and trying to connect you with himself and with people, which is the purpose of a human. So, so the devil's purpose is to disconnect you. God's purpose is to connect you. We understand that. Sin disconnects you. And forgiveness of sins connects you. Getting better connects you. So 
He said, uh, when, the, when, when you uh, prepare for an MMA fight, so I'm just having to take on this whole new, right, when I'm preparing for an MMA fight, my big move in a fight is like run and hide. Or like hitting me is like hitting a girl. There's just no... It just gives me enough pause that I can get away. That's all I'm saying. So it just gives me enough. Like, you don't want to win a fight against me. It's like winning a fight against you know, one of my daughters. Like, there's no, everybody's going to, anyways. You're going to think about that. Next time you're mad at me, you're going to be like, I can't punch him. It's like punching a girl. Um, he said, back to chat. <laughs> he said this, um, preparing for an MMA fight, you, you do two things. Uh, one thing is you prepare uh, how to beat the other person, so how to win. So, so w when you uh, experience a, a mountain, climbing that mountain, how are you going to beat that other person? But he said, the other thing that they do, uh, the smart ones, is they have to figure out how the other person plans on beating them. Oh, we don't think like that. Do we? It's not just you winning, it's also how is the devil planning on beating you? When he said that, you know, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works. He's talking about MMA fighting, which I have, I've watched like 10 seconds of an MMA fight. I'm like, these people are animals, and they scare me through the television. So I watch soccer, which is a real man's sport. <laughs> sensitive. We're a bit sensitive. If there's any Tottenham um, fans in the house tonight, Liverpool uh, just won the Champions League yesterday. So you come up for prayer afterwards, Tottenham fans. It's okay. We'll pray for you. We'll get you converted to cheer for a real team. And um, yeah, nobody here cheers for Tottenham. So it's okay. Um, I thought about that. This is one of those types of sermons. It's not enough to teach your kids how to win in life. You have to teach them how the devil's going to beat them. And the devil has seen millions and millions of people just like you. You're like, but I'm unique. No, 50 million people think about like you. There's been billions and billions of people come through. Do you think that the devil has you figured out by now? He does. He does. And so what, what the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God puts people in your life that help you learn how not to lose. Because the devil can set a trap for you and catch you. I mean, just take a look at your backstory. He has done it over and over and over again. But this is one of those types of sermons. I'm going to take away the devil's ability to beat you uh, through the Word of God and through this lesson that I'm going to teach you about passive aggressiveness. You got to do both to win. Uh, when I was a kid, um, my, my bedroom was in the basement, in the very far corner of the basement. So I would walk down the stairs in the opposite corner of the basement and have to, uh, to go all the way across, like mostly an unfinished basement, to get to my bedroom, which was finished on the far side. So Ryan had the nice room upstairs, and I was exiled to the basement. And so, just brotherly rivalry. I love my brother, by the way. He's, he's awesome. I wanted to be in the basement. That's why I was down in the basement. So anyways, what happens was you would come down the stairs and you would turn the lights on to come down the stairs. But when you got to the bottom of the stairs, you turn the lights off of the stairs. But there was no um, what we call a three-way switch in the trade. So there was no switch here to turn the light on in the living area to get me to the bedroom so that I could turn it on here, turn it off in the bedroom. There was just one light uh, switch in the middle of the room. 
So it's a great big long room. And so what I would have to do, I would, I would walk down the stairs here, and then the stair lights I would turn off, but I'd have to memorize the path to the, you know, make sure that I could circumnavigate, is that a thing, to get to the light switch there. So then I walk over here, and then I would get to the light switch here, and then I'd have about 15 or 20 uh, feet of a straight shot with maybe a hockey net in between there, because this is what we used to do. And I would I'd make a straight shot to my bedroom. But because I'm fast and good looking, I... Aaron's a good looking one, whatever, whatever. Because I'm fast and impatient and time is money, even as a junior high kid. Um, <laughs> I'm just impatient, y'all. And so what I would do is I would just flick the light on, take a look, and then start walking. So after a while, you kind of get used to walking in the dark. Well, somebody's starting to... You kind of get used to it, right? Because you, every time you do, you walk in the dark, right? So, so every argument that you just had with your spouse this week... Um, you're walking in the dark, and so you're walking in the dark here. And so I'm walking, but at the last couple of steps, I took very confidently, because I was getting pretty used to walking in the dark. And so, but when I'm walking, I'm walking with my hands all like this. Right? So I'm walking kind of confidently, but you have to like flex your hands and stuff, because when you hit the wall at the end, you don't break your wrist walking to your bedroom. So, so I'm walking in there, and th- this is what happens. So I'm walking, I'm going to go this way now. So I'm, I'm walking to my bedroom door one night, and I'm walking with my arms out in front of me, and the last two steps I took very confidently and walked right into the door. Mark, right in my face, in the, right in the middle of my face. Passive aggressiveness. Passive aggressiveness. Um, there's, somebody just whispered, he's talking to you. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. You're starting to get a feel. About the third message in here, somebody's going to be like, I brought my husband like you said. (laughs) And your husband's sitting there just like, oh, please, God, let her be listening to this. Here's the thing about passive aggressiveness. Can you just trust me for a minute in this? And by trust me, I mean like trust God, trust the Holy Spirit. It is the Canadian disease. We all have it. So whether you have 10% of it or you're full-blown passive-aggressive, you have it in you. Just If you could start there and I don't have to take 35 minutes to convince you that it's your problem, we could just move on a lot further. We end up walking around in the dark, but it would be very interesting for somebody who had light or context or night vision goggles to walk, watch Corey walk into the door with his face, <laughs> which is what God does with you. Every argument you had this week was completely predictable, everybody. It has happened to you before. Your life is made up of patterns upon patterns upon patterns that you are now repeating because, no, you're all not that smart because here's the thing. Here's what we do. Then we turn around and we blame whoever didn't put the light switch over here rather than either blame yourself or blame the dark in and of itself. So what happens is I get mad at the person who didn't do the thing that I'm arguing about at work or my mom or whatever it is that you're fighting about. I, don't, I get mad at them, but I don't get mad at the thing I should actually be mad at, which is um, an inability to see in the dark that I actually have. So God is watching above this, and I would suggest to you that the people around you are being able to see. They actually have a, a light into your into your situation. They can see this better than you can see this. And let me uh, explain this. Jesus preached a sermon. Um, I assume it was a sermon, but he said this. Uh, let me go to this verse. Uh, he's talking to people just like you. So let's just assume that when Jesus is talking, he's talking to you. Um, he's saying to Corey, uh, but when your eye is unhealthy, what? 
your eye is unhealthy. Your whole body is filled with darkness. Your eye is unhealthy. Just stop. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is, is filled with uh, darkness. When your eye is unhealthy. So you remember when Saul of Tarsus, on the way to Damascus to persecute the church, thought he was actually honoring God. And if you're not a Christ follower, Christians are messed up. Church people are messed up too. We struggle with it just as much as anybody struggles with this thing. But if you want to get better, then this sermon is for you. So, so Saul of Tarsus, he, he gets blinded. Do you remember that? He gets blinded on the road. And three days later, some no-account brother named Ananias prays for him. And then it says this, something like scales fell off of his eyes. And I'm passive-aggressive. I'm like, I got it. All right, Holy Spirit, I got it. I got it. When your eye is unhealthy... Put that up again. When, you're, when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. You catch that. When your eye is unhealthy, you, it fills your entire body with, what if everything that you saw was coming in through a filter that was blind? You'd never think to question it, would you? What passive, passive aggressiveness is a disease that the first symptom it does is it blinds you, you ready? To it. I would see it. That's the first thing it does. It'll destroy your life in the end, all of your relationships. In the end, it'll take everything from you. But the first thing it does is it convinces you that it's not there and that you can see, that you can think. That what you feel, and then it says the second part, which is even more shocking than the first part. Jesus is like, okay, Canadians got it. Uh, And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Like, if the flashlight that you're running through the woods with, if that's the most light you've ever had, that's all you have to compare it to. And if that light is actually kind of dark, how deep the darkness is. You are comparing yourself to your past, and that's it. But then the Son of God rises in your heart, and you see this. It's like the new, if somebody could have turned on the sun in my basement, I wouldn't have hit the door. But the light you think that you have is darkness. Passive uh, aggressiveness. Uh, passive, let, me, let me define it for you. Passive aggressiveness can be defined as an indirect resistance. Got any passive-aggressive kids? I'm going to go through a litmus test here. Oh, yeah. Y'all don't even know what's coming. Um, if any part of this doesn't make sense to you, just say yes to the litmus test, because I'm just going to read you one, how you argue with people. But um, the litmus test, how, how do I know if I'm passive-aggressive? Well, you are. Okay, let's put it this way. If any of the, your parents... You saw their lives reflected in the litmus test that I'm going to do. Just assume it's in you. Just, it's there. It's there. Indirect resistance. Let's call it this, internal resistance. You got a kid who you asked to do something and they just like. Then you ask again. Oh. An internal no. Your boss at work is like, hey, can you do this? And you're like, oh, all smiles out there. And then you go over here and you're like, can you believe that she just asked me to do this thing? I can't believe that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's Internal resistance. Indirect resistance. See, we got the aggressives. Like, uh, 
as a two-year-old, uh, Pastor Corey was not a pastor. <laughs> he was just an aggressive kid. I was just an aggressive. And an aggressive type of personality, you actually demand that people discipline you. <laughs> Everybody knows what I thought all the time. Dad, I need discipline right now. I'm demanding that you do something about my terrible, rotten attitude. But if you're a quiet one, indirect. How do you respond? Do you respond with a yes on the inside? Or you just say it on the outside and kind of this like... Excuse me, what do you say? Anybody ever say that to you? What do you say? If you work in a bureaucracy, they are founded on passive aggressiveness. Just saying. Internal, uh, internal resistance. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. If the light that you think you have is darkness, because that's all that you know, how deep that darkness is, it's infected every part of your life, and the first thing it did was tell you it wasn't there. But everybody around you has to live with it, with your internal uh, Bible says, um, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Your husband did something and it was pretty good and you won't compliment him. Well, yeah, but he didn't do this. Uh, when it's in your power to do it and you won't do it, it's an internal resistance to something. Why won't you Connect with your kids. You have a bad day at work, dads, and you come home, and your kid just wants to tell you some pointless story for 10 minutes. You know what that's called? Listening to that? Good parenting. You just had a bad day. You're just in a bad mood because somebody treated you wrong. Your manager told a lie about you. You come home, and then you make your kid pay for it. They don't know. You don't come home with that stuff, and you feeling it? You just, like, you're miserable. Everybody's going to be a little miserable, too. Well, I'm not going to smile because it's not honest. Then be dishonest, everybody. And smile and fake it till you make it. And fake it till something inside of you starts to change. But this whole thing of like, I'm unhappy, therefore everybody's going to be unhappy too. Do you think that that actually helps anybody? Do you think it helps you get unhappy? It never has. Repeatable patterns, repeatable patterns that you can't stop anymore, that you can't stop. Let me go through a litmus test here. I'm gonna, um, I was going to do this whole series on King Saul, you know, David and King Saul. And King Saul is like the passive aggressive, right? And so I thought that's like shooting fish in a barrel. So I'm going to preach about Absalom. So Absalom. Absalom was uh, David's, one of David's uh, sons, King David's son. So David, that great king, one of his sons. And a story today that's going to start about Absalom. Now, Absalom started in this place that we need to kind of get back to. Doesn't feel like a big deal, but it all starts someplace, and you got to go back to where to where it starts, or else you can't clean up where where it goes. What ends up happening in Absalom's life is that he he creates a civil war against David, his father, and eventually twenty thousand men of Israel don't come home to their families. They're killed in a civil war. So it ends here. So unchecked passive aggressiveness will take everything from you and laugh at you in the end. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your kids. It will put everybody on a road that nobody wants to be on and nobody signed up for. It will do this out here, but it started in a funny little place that Absalom doesn't actually play into the story where it starts. It's a tricky one to preach, but I'm going to preach it. But first, I'm going to go through the litmus test. And uh, y'all, uh, passive-aggressive, nice out in public, but in here, 
we different people, passive aggressive, who, who like Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. There's two of you. Just give it time. There's two of you. Your people love the one part of you, and then you insist that they love the other part of you, because you do. You ever thought about this? When God's trying to change you, the Apostle Paul said this. He didn't love all parts of himself. He's like, oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, who will deliver me from this thing? He's not like, accept all of me, everybody. He's like, no, I don't like this part of me. This is the part that the devil is winning in. I hate the work of the devil. I hate what he's doing. I love the work of God. You can't love the work of the devil and the work of God at the same time, and you become this person that has two of you. Two of you. And everybody walks around on eggshells because they don't know which one they're talking to on any particular day. You discipline your kids differently based on your moods? Right. They can do one thing one day and do the same thing the next day and get in trouble for it. It's funny one day and it's not funny. Here's what I got to do. I have to make you feel something about this. Because if this is part of your story, and it is, you're really good at burying it. And I got to, it's distasteful to me, but it's necessary. I got to get the Hulk out in the open. But not like the fun Hulk. I got to, you're going to feel threatened. I'm sorry. You're going to feel threatened. You're going to be angry. Uh, you know what would help you? Well, when I walked my face into the door, I had a laugh. I'm like, what an idiot. I'm so glad Dad wasn't here. <laughs> I wouldn't hear the end of that. You remember that time you walked your face into the door because he wouldn't turn the lights on? <laughs> you know what? If you can laugh at yourself... The, the door gets cracked open and a new destiny awaits you out there because we're taking ourselves way too seriously, y'all. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. You got to be able to, okay. Okay, so here's the litmus test. I feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of came into the room here and just opened a door for us. Okay, so, um, so here's a litmus test. You're, <laughs> I'm going to have fun preaching this. I'm not even going to apologize for it. All right. Look, y'all, I have experience with passive aggressive. I got experience. Um, if you've ever said this to somebody, you might be a passive aggressive. If you've ever said, you made me feel a certain way. What? What's he talking about? I just said that this morning on the way to church. You made me feel this way. Okay, let me just break this down. A five-year-old can be made to feel something. A 10-year-old. Maybe a 15-year-old. A 25-year-old. Hmm. So your entire life is based on how people treat you? So you have a bad day when somebody treats you bad. People can work their way into your psyche and make you feel something? You know who can make you feel something? You. A healthy person always takes responsibility for the state of their own soul. An undeveloped, unhealthy person can't. Or in this case, won't. You might be a passive-aggressive. You made me feel a certain way. Stop it. Nobody can... I'm not talking to five-year-olds here. Uh, nobody can make you feel a certain way. You just feel a certain way. Uh, 
preach it, Pastor Coy. That's so good. Oh my goodness, my life is changing. I'm so happy. Thank you, Jesus. All right. If you think that what you feel is real, you might be a passive aggressive. If you think that what you think is fact, The earth is flat, everybody. <laughs> Most of your opinions that you hold so dear in, in five years, you'll just be like, what an idiot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you think that what you're feeling now is real, if you even think that what you're feeling in this sermon, that has, if you even think that it has a high percentage of being real, if you feel under threat, when the Holy Spirit of God is trying to set you free... If you trust your own thoughts and your own feelings more than God's thoughts and God's feelings about you. Okay, you might be passive aggressive. Uh, If someone has ever asked you a direct question about a mistake you made and you respond with anything short of the full truth, your boss is like, how come that contract didn't get done? And you, you ready? Filter information up the ladder. You know who gets to filter information? The people up the ladder. And let me just explain this and just take a minute here. When my five-year-old daughter asked me, how are babies made, Dad? That's a different answer than the 10-year-old, go talk to your mom. Is the thing. <laughs> I'm going to filter information. Everything I say has to be true, but I don't have to say everything that's true to my five-year-old daughter. And you can't handle it. Do you treat people up the ladder as if you are now? Well, they're not smart enough or mature enough and... I will therefore filter information, mostly about things that you screwed up. Okay, um, you might be passive aggressive. If you come back with anything, uh, and you, then you call it a misunderstanding when you get caught. Oh, I misunderstood the question. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You're just saying that. I know. I'm experience. I got experience. I called this message the fog. If you're tired of your life being repeatable patterns that you can't stop, here's, here's the fog. After a conflict, if you have any of this in you, what happens is you look back after the conflict, and you ready? It's foggy. The whole thing is foggy. The whole thing is like you felt under threat, and you were angry, and you saw this other person, and now this other person is a monster, but you ready? You can't remember specifically what was said or what was done. It's a fog. You, you can't actually remember the exact words that you said or the words that, that they said. This is how a conflict plays out. You say something, the other person says something, and then you get mad at them for something that you think that they said. And when they try to correct you, I had somebody do this to me one time, came in on a conversation with me and my wife about something that was none of their concern, and then said, did you just say this to your wife? And I said, no. I'm not a liar, y'all. I'll take it. If I say something stupid, I'll take it. I said, no, I didn't say that. And then they proceeded to tear a strip off of me for something that I didn't say. Why? Because I felt like you did. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know that that was part of the game. We can just make crap up (laughs) to win an argument. I'm going to get mad at you now and say, well, you said this. And the other person says, no, I didn't. And I'm like, yeah, well, you made me. So I'm going to treat you like that. And I'm going to go on with the argument as if nothing happened. You just told a lie to try to win an argument. You cheated. Now, let me ask you this. 
If you can't be trusted uh, with that, you just want to win. You don't care. You're doing it to hurt yourself, too. All you want to do is win the argument. You don't care about the relationship. You don't care about the other person. You don't even care about yourself. Here's, here's what I would say. Do you really think that you should be the one in control of that? I would rather a five-year-old child who can tell the truth be in control of that or mediate it or something. It, it's a repeatable pattern. But you have to be in control of it. You just have to win. You just have to win. Why? Because you feel all this threat and you feel, I'm going to show you where it all starts, everybody. Imagine living a life where conflict looks like, here's the issue that I have. Here's my uh, reprisal. <laughs> here's the thing that I would say about that. Okay, you know what? Here's how a conflict needs to be worked out. I got mad and I'm sorry that I got mad. I said I hate you and I'm sorry that I said that and I meant it. Guys, nobody says something they don't mean. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean it. Yeah, you did, actually. That's what you need to apologize for. Uh, a passive-aggressive demands that you accept them and all their sin. What? What it, what it does is it builds up these little pieces of sin because a passive-aggressive never truly apologizes for anything. They never really do. And so what happens is sin comes between you and, and relationships. Sin comes between you and God. And then what happens is it starts building up and building up. But this is how, 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 how it works. When you sin against me, I have to forgive you before you even confess it. But if you won't confess it, that sin stays there. And then uh, the next one gets set on top of that until it's a wall between you and God, until it's a wall between you and people, and until you address that thing that's there and take it out of the way. But a passive-aggressive person never removes the blocks. They never say that they're there. Oh, shoot. Okay, I'm talking to somebody else. It's fine. I'll make you feel good by the end. Um, here's what's frustrating. I think about a passive-aggressive, or about you or about me, is, is that we'll say you know what, I know that I got this wrong and we'll say yes, but we, we're so stubborn that we never really improve. And if you're living with somebody who's not a passive-aggressive and you're a passive-aggressive, what happens is they come back after the conflict, own their own garbage, even if it's only 10% of the argument, they own it. And then they come back into the next conversation and they're actually better, like a little bit. And you come into the next conversation and you're a little bit worse. And then a year goes by. And then two years goes by, and ten years goes by, and it becomes untenable. You become untenable to live with. Nobody can do it anymore. And they can't even really tell you why, because you're so good at, at, at something. Just give me a minute. All right, come on. Um, it becomes an unconscious thing, but do you know that the things you unconsciously do to hurt people hurt them all the same? And so in our home, we, I grew up in a healthy home where it was like, hey, apologize for what you said and did. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to carry a rotten attitude around with you. Apologize for it. Get over it, you know? And then we would laugh about it later. And the thing would lose its power. It can't grow shame in the dark anymore because it's not in the dark. You're like, hey, remember that time you walked into the door? Hey, well, you remember that time you freaked out and hit your brother? <laughs> yeah, well, I remember all right. <laughs> what you do is you, you raise children who can laugh at it. And when you laugh at it, when you get it out in the open, it starts losing its power. And here's what I... Oh, there's so much I can preach about this. So let me just get into the, into the, the text here. See, what ends up unconscious uh, begins consciously. And I'm going to show you at the end how this begins. And you won't understand it. Just trust me with it. 
But you have to go back consciously and deal with the conscious piece so that all the thing can be torn down. So it, you got to tear down the citadel, but you got to tear down the walls too. So we're going to go after the citadel today, which is not going to seem like a huge emotional deal, uh, but it's going to set you free. I really believe that. The Holy Spirit has given uh, this to me. So um, 2 Samuel chapter 13 now says David's son Absalom. Uh, he's kind of the main character of the story, but his name is just mentioned here. He's not really in the story till later. Had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Okay, I'm going to preach a story. It's one of the hardest ones to preach in the Bible, I think. But um, you might have had the luxury of growing up in a healthy home. But the person sitting beside you probably didn't. Your kids might have had the luxury of this, uh, but the kids in their class didn't. You, you, your life is not just about you being healthy and safe and innocent and pure. It's about making other people innocent and pure and righteous and bringing them back to God and helping them heal it up. And so, so we have to talk about real things. And so if you have, you know, a 12-year-old kid in here, you're going to have a conversation on the way home. I'll be classy. Just talk to them. Educate them. Um, and tell them why. I fell desperately in love with her. So culturally, things were a little bit different back then. Um, David had many wives. That was not God's intent. It was just culturally acceptable, but problematic. And Pastor Aaron was here. Very problematic, y'all. One is enough and more than enough. Hallelujah. I'm not going to say more than that because my mom will come up here and kill me. Um, Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became uh, ill. Uh, she was a virgin. I mean, she was a young, innocent girl. And Amnon thought that he could never have her. Uh, but Amnon had a very crafty friend. Now, why is he even thinking about this thoughts? Well, first of all, like, what you think about and what you lust after doesn't make it God's intent for you and doesn't make it God's plan or design or anything. So he had an undisciplined mind, man. you got to discipline yourself. But um, for half-brothers and sisters, even at the time, to get married was not out of the question in society in their days. So just put yourself back there. It would be very unusual now, but just put yourself back there. Uh, he had a very crafty friend um, who was also a family member. Um, and the, one day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the, king of, uh, the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I'm in love with my, I'm in lust with uh, Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, uh, he said, I'll tell you what to do. Um, go back to bed, pretend you're ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. And tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as uh, you watch and feeds you with her own hands. I'm always trying to get Aaron to like, can you make me a sandwich and like feed it to me? I'm like, ah, it's kind of chewy. What do you mind, like, chewing it for me and stuff? No. That's never happened to everybody. <laughs> or once again, I would not be alive to preach this sermon. This is kind of weird, but I don't know. Like, maybe it's a thing back then. I don't know. Um, so he laid down and pretended to be sick. Uh, the king came. David agreed to send Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. So I don't think the king knew what was going on. The king was busy. So, I, dads, you're busy, but you really have to check this out and protect your daughters here. Because he was putting her into a situation that she was young and innocent and probably wouldn't get this, right? And so... Or even know or even guess that something like this would happen. Do you know how many people in your life that you know have had horrible things happen to them? But I'm not even talking about Absalom yet. I'm talking about his sister and what happened to her and where it started for Absalom, the passive-aggressive thing. So he lay down, pretended to be... Uh, and when uh, Tamar, verse 8, arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so, she could, uh, so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish. And when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, he told his servants, so they all left. Then he said to Tamar, um, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. Um, 
Here's just a little helpful thing for dads. People say this all the time. Like, girls, when you're out on a date, you're going to have to have a talk with your kids one way or the other. So I might as well just give you more. When you're out on a date with somebody, never do anything you're uncomfortable with. You know what? That's okay. But you know what? Never do anything dad's uncomfortable with. <laughs> oh, come, come give me some cereal in bed. I'll give you cereal. You got a steak knife? I'll get you cereal in bed. It's no problem. Just, hey, let me call my dad up. He'll feed you cereal. It's okay. I got a rolling bin. Stupid kids. Come on, preach it. Let me explain what happened. Then, then he basically forced her uh, to sleep with him. Why, why am I preaching about this? Because a tragedy happened, but it didn't even happen to Absalom. It happened to his sister, and it wounded him. Watch his response, because this is what happened to you, and this is what you did in some form or other. So watch how Absalom responds to this horrible thing that happens to somebody that he loves. Um, her brother Absalom, verse 20, saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, watch, watch, keep quiet for now. Let's just put this thing in a box. Let's not talk about it. Uh, he's your brother. It's super awkward. It's super hard. Don't you worry about it, meaning I'm going to take care of this thing. But listen, listen. I'm going to put it in a box, and I'm going to take care of this thing my way. Yeah. Watch. This is what you did. I'm going to deal with this thing inside of me. I'm going to create a process for this painful thing inside of myself to deal with it. Um, so Tamar lived uh, in Absalom's house as a desolate woman. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry, but it's interesting that he did nothing. So he heard what had happened, but this is the first rift that happens in Absalom and David's relationship because, because the father did nothing. And so this horrible thing happened with Amnon, and the father did nothing. Um, though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared, two years later, he invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. Two years later, he laid a trap for his brother and murdered the crown prince of Israel. Years later, he took the throne of David and caused the deaths of 20,000 men. 20,000 men never went home that day. It started with something outside of Absalom's control. It, it, for you, it would be something that happened uh, in your childhood, likely. This is the pattern that I see over and over and over again. Just open up and just trust me, please. So something happened to you. It's not even a big thing anymore, but when you think back of it, it still makes you feel dirty. There's something about it just, and it doesn't, it's not a, this is what happened to my dad. I was laughing about this last night. And, and it, what happened was he was in grade two and, and um, they were renovating in the, in the schoolhouse back then. And um, there was a board with a nail on it and the boys were, he said, you know, we were doing what boys did back then. We were punching each other and stuff like that. We're all like not MMA anymore, but they used to be. And so they were wrestling and tussling around in the hallway, lining up for something. And he fell on a board with a nail and it went into his hip. Then he went up uh, to the classroom and because he was bleeding, the teacher got scared and balled him out in front of the class for falling on a nail and getting hurt, okay? And then he said in his heart, nobody will ever see how I feel again. And then I asked mom, how many years have you been unwinding that one? And she goes, oh, 20, 30, 40. 
starts with something small. See, an aggressive kid or an outward person, they have this process that involves other people. And it always had, even when they were two or three or four or five, they, it involves other people. There's somebody else that, that is in there processing with the pain. I'm convinced that sometimes if you would tell somebody, even if they're the wrong person sometimes, that, that there's still something about it that, that gets, uh, gets it out in the open. And, and at least it's not growing in the dark because this is what happens, is that a disease starts that day and you lock it in a room and you're the only one with, with the key to that door. And what you become is, is, a self, is a self-diagnosing physician who's got the disease. So you're not sitting on the psychologist's couch. You're sitting on the psychologist's couch, and you're trying to figure yourself out. But you have the disease that you're trying to fix by yourself. And you, you did it because it made sense to do it at the time because you're, 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 you had to protect yourself. And it might have been the best option for you. I'm not going to say that it wasn't. But to survive, you had to do. You had to put it in a box. You had to deal with this thing inside. And nobody knew about it. And you locked it away. And, and it's not even that big of a deal, probably. But, but it, it, at the time, it sure felt like it. And you locked it away. And then, and then what happens is you come to Christ and, and you say, uh, I do. And you do, but not that. And, and you get married and you stand at the altar and you say, I do. And they said, I do, and they meant all of it. And you said, I do, and you meant all of it, but that. And Jesus, I'll give you all of it, but that thing, though. You'd never ask me to do that again. You'd never ask me to go back there. You'd never ask me to. I'm convinced that if you open the door an inch today, that the Holy Spirit will take a mile. I'm convinced that before the end of the day is out, if you tell somebody, even this, I think I'm a passive-aggressive, laugh about it. Here's what not to do. Don't drive home and be like, I don't appreciate the way the pastor preached that sermon today. Because all your kids are going to be like, passive-aggressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, you see what happened today, right? I got experience. If you can say that, if you can go back, we're going to open the care corner today, and I think a lot of you just need to get prayed for, and you just need some healing in this place because it didn't start with something that you got wrong, but what it eventually does is it creates a disease, and then you actually start doing the same things that were done to you or done to somebody you love. You actually become the person who, in some regard, does the same thing in the end, and you'll do it feeling like a victim. Why do you think abuse goes generation to generation to generation? While they feel like victims, they are doing it to survive. Something inside of them still needs to survive, but the Holy Spirit wants to unwind you and the Holy Spirit wants to give you freedom today. It is time to open your process to somebody else. I had a story about a pastor friend of mine that I wanted to tell that you wouldn't know, but I realized if, the, if this happens to the best of us, I met him for lunch a couple weeks ago and I'm just like, you know what I realized? Every time he gets wounded, he doesn't get healed. And I've known him for years, and I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm just like, how is it that the pain that you're going through, I know that it was a lot, and I know that it was a lot back then, but I've gone through probably multiples of that kind of pain, and I'm not like bitter, and I don't feel like a victim, and I don't, there's something that God has set me free of that I actually get better after I get hurt, and I get cut, but I get healed, and I got scars, but I... I'm not bleeding out all the time. And I thought, that's exactly what God wants to do to you. And if it happens to the best of us, look, you just have to open your process just an inch. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray this is a, kind of a heavy sermon, but such, a, I think, a profitable sermon so that the devil can could beaten us. And I, I pray, Heavenly Father, for 
uh, just a spirit of humility, just to get prayed for, that we would not be so proud and just keep diagnosing our, our own sickness, Father, and keep trying to fix ourselves. And It is a proud thing not to get prayed for sometimes. It's a proud thing not to admit that something is there that's there. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that today would be the day for so many people and people even watching and listening that we would go and we would just say that first opening sentence, just that thing that opens the door an inch so that, Holy Spirit of God, you can come and you can set every person uh, free here. I pray that you would bring peace in the strife. I t- pray that you would take away the fear of the storm, oh God. We should be fearless, uh, Christ followers, not because we haven't experienced fear, but because we have courage to combat fear. In Jesus' name, amen.